Over the Fence Podcast, we're back again. We're doing something new. This is going to be the League Championship Series. We're going to do some League Championship Series games. We're going to start with Game 3 of the 1978 League Championship Series between the Yankees and the Royals. So first of all, why do I want to do this? Well, watching some of the games this year, this past season, um, and obviously this was a season like no other, Yes, they were intense. Yes, they were good games. There were some pretty good games in the postseason, but there was something missing with no fans or limited fans. There was something missing with the neutral sites. And it made me just kind of think about, you know, when baseball was baseball and when we could have these things. And obviously this year, because of the pandemic, we couldn't do it. But um, it just kind of had me thinking of going back and watching some games where you had a real home field advantage. You had crowds. You had screaming crowds. You just, it was just a different element. And so it had me thinking about some of these series from one of my favorite eras of the game, really, which is the, the 70s, when you just had um, you had a combination of different types of players, you had expansion teams, you had a fast-paced game, you had, um, it was just, everything seemed bigger, everything seemed more intense before you had all these different forms of media, when, you know, on a Saturday night or on a Friday night, you imagine almost everybody is watching these games, I mean, not literally, but, you know, Everything just seemed like it was bigger than because there were less choices and the players seemed like they were bigger than life. And um, so it had me thinking specifically about these two teams because I know these teams played each other three times in a row in the league championship series, 76, 77 and 78. And spoiler alert, the Yankees won all three. But um, the Royals had some pretty good, tough teams in those era in that era, too. So just going over these two teams. We know who they are. We know who the Yankees are anyway. The Yankees are the Yankees. At this point, they'd won 21 games, uh, 21 World Series. Um, they'd won 31 pennants. They won the World Series the year before. Reggie Jackson hitting the three home runs on three swings. In 77, they beat the Dodgers. 78, they're down 14 games to the Boston Red Sox. They come back. They pass the Red Sox. Then the Red Sox catch up to them. They have the one-game playoff. Um, and then it comes up to, to this series. The Yankees, this particular week, this was the um, the week of the first week of October of 1978. So the regular season ended on Sunday. Their last game of the regular, real regular season was at home against Cleveland on Sunday. They lost that game. They had the one game play, playoff against Boston. That was Monday afternoon. They won that game to win the division. And then Tuesday night they were playing in Kansas City. So this was quite the schedule for the Yankees. They were. They were going. They won that game in Kansas City, by the way, that first game. Um, that was game one, Tuesday night in Kansas City. Royals won game two. Um, Yankees won the first one 7-1. to Royals won the second one 10-4. They have an off, gay, off day on what, Thursday. And then Friday afternoon is the game that we're going to do today. This is game three. This is Yankee Stadium. This is a big one. Now let's talk about who the Royals were. The Royals were an expansion team. They came into existence in 1969. They were a replacement for the Kansas City A's, who just moved to Oakland. Um, that year, the American League expanded in 69. You got the Royals, and you got the Seattle Pilots, who eventually became the Milwaukee Brewers. The Royals were an expansion team. By 1975, six years later, they were a 90-win team. They just missed the um, playoffs that year. They did not win the division. Of course, in those days, you had to win the division. There wasn't a wild card, and the Oakland A's won the division that year. That was the last year of those big swinging A's teams. By 76, though, the A's were broken up. The Royals were even better. They won the division. They lost that series to the Yankees in the league championship series. You had um, that home run by Chris Shambliss in the Bronx in game five. Um, crazy things with the fans running on the field, and he couldn't even get to second base and all that stuff. Everybody knows that story. And then the next year, 77, 
Um, they go to three games to two again. So this, this is when the league championship series was a best of five series. So 76, they go to the fifth game, they lose. 77, they go to the fifth game. This time it's in Kansas City. The big fight between Craig Nettles and, um, and George Brett. They lose that game in that series too. 78, now the Royals are here again. They're facing the Yankees again. And you know how intense it had to have been on their part. They lost to this team two years in a row. They must have been so tired of losing to them. This year, we got to get them. We got to get them. At this point, it's game three. The series is tied. And um, they're about to get into it. 78 Yankees, by the way, won 100 games. Royals won 92 games. They were 92-70. and 70, And they finished five games ahead of the Angels and the Rangers. Yankees, we talked about with Boston. They needed 100 wins to get past Boston, who was also pretty tough. So these teams really fought for it. And I'm not one of these people who's going to sit here and be like, oh, you know, it's so much easier now because you have all these rounds of the playoffs. I'm for all the wild card rounds. I'm for the playoff system we have right now. I don't think it should change. That's a story for another day. Um, But this was very intense because these teams really had to fight like cats and dogs just to get to this point. So now they're here. So Friday afternoon. October 6th, Game 3, the Bronx, it's a sunny day. You got the shadows creeping over the field. And the starting pitchers, you got Paul Splitorf for Kansas City and for the Yankees, Catfish Hunter. So this is going to be a good one. So the commentators for this game are Keith Jackson on the play-by-play, Howard Cosell, and Jim Palmer, who was still playing at the time. He was still pitching for the Orioles. And we're going to talk about Jim Palmer and uh, Howard Cosell and their banter. And Jim Jim Palmer became a pretty successful broadcaster after retirement. But this is Jim Palmer when he was still playing. And I don't know if this is the first time that he did play-by-play. I mean, they had him doing it in the League Championship Series. I don't know how much of this he'd done before. But um, he was obviously a great pitcher. At this point, he had some things to learn about being a broadcaster, naturally. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But they were the commentators. It was ABC that carried this game. And so the game starts out on the telecast that I saw online. You got um, an interview with Thurman Munson. They're talking to him. Thurman Munson, Yankee catcher. He had some problems with his shoulder. He was pretty banged up. And they were talking to him about it and, you know, his conditioning. And also they were talking to him about the fact that um, Thurman, you know, he wanted to be traded. He um, This is pretty well documented. Thurman was a guy. He was from Ohio. And he was playing in New York with the Yankees and his family was still in Ohio and he really wanted to play for a team that was closer to Ohio. And he talked about how there was some talk with Pittsburgh, which is closer to Ohio, about um, him possibly going there. But somehow that didn't work out. They talked to him about his shoulder, which was really banged up. And they talked to him about Reggie Jackson and his relationship with Reggie Jackson. And he said he likes Reggie. And at this point, from what I've read, by 78, Reggie and Thurman had kind of ironed things out, and they were getting along pretty well. Um, not like Reggie's first year in 77 with the whole article in Sport Magazine, and they didn't. there was a lot of contention and everything like that. But at this point, it seemed like Thurman had kind of put a lot of that stuff behind him. But he still wanted to leave the Yankees because he wanted to play close, closer to home. So before the game starts, they um, introduce a few awards. You got Raleigh Fingers winning, winning the uh, Rolids Relief Man Award. I think that was pre-recorded where they showed that. And then right here on the um, at Yankee Stadium, you see uh, Jim Rice and Ron Guidry winning some. I couldn't tell exactly what award they were presenting them with at home plate before the game started. Jim Rice, of course, was a member of the Red Sox, and they had just lost to the Yankees a few days earlier. So there he was, you know, with um, with um, Ron Guidry. They're getting this award. Jim Rice looking mad. 78 style smooth he's got the suit he's got the the sunglasses everything like that i didn't even realize it was him i was like oh that's a pretty cool looking guy you know 70s look everything like that it was it was jim rice so there he was he got that award and then um there was an interview with clyde king 
the pitching coach for the Yankees, where he talked about Catfish Hunter and he talked about how he um, things he did to help Catfish Hunter go into his house in the offseason, helping him to learn, get himself together about some things that had not gone well the season before and how they got him back on track. So let's get into the game. So um, George Brett leads off this game. Now, here's another thing I wanted to do with this. game. Here's another reason why I wanted to go back and I wanted to watch some old games. I noticed when I was watching games this year in 2020 in the in the postseason, it was like a home run derby. It was just one home run after another home run. I'm like, you know, I mean, the home runs are good for the highlights. But if I'm sitting here watching the game, I don't just want to see home runs. I mean, come on. Why don't these guys play some baseball? You know, why don't we see some real baseball? I said, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch this 1978 World Series. And I'm going to get some some real baseball. And so what's the first thing that I see in this series? That pitch is hit high in the air. And deep to right it is. Carl in the upper deck for Brett. It's always nice to brief you folks in advance. The very thing we were talking about. Yeah, so Brett smashes, um, he smashes a pitch over into that short right field at Yankee Stadium. It's a home run. It's one nothing. Um, so it goes on from there. Um, Hal McCray's up next. He flies out. Amos Otis beats out an infield hit. Uh, Mike Stanley tries to make a nice, oh, sorry, Fred Stanley, who's the, who's the second baseman for the Yankees in place of Willie Randolph, who was hurt. Um, he makes a nice attempt, but he can't quite get to it. And, um, Daryl Porter comes up next. He's the catcher for Kansas City. So at this point, there's um, there's one out, there's one on, there's a run already in. The Yankees already have somebody warming up in the bullpen. That's kind of like today. So right now I'm watching this and I'm thinking this is not that much unlike modern baseball. But don't worry, it does kind of morph back into what it's actually supposed to be. It does kind of go into real 1978-style baseball in a minute. Um, so Amos Otis steals second base, no throw. Um, Munson kind of loses the ball behind him, and they're going to run on Munson all day because they know he has that bad shoulder, and they talk about this during the postseason or during the uh, during the broadcast. So now there's a man on second, still only one out. They get Porter to fly out to center field. Um, Otis tags up and goes to third. Rivers, Mickey Rivers over in um, center field. Now he's injured too. Mickey Rivers is injured, and they're going to talk about that a little more. He's got a bad hip, I believe, and um, he uncorks a great throw over to third base, and he gets him, and he gets him out. So um, they end up getting the third out, and that ends the inning. So they get out of it there. So they get out of it with just the one run, which is George Brett's home run. So now the Yankees are up for the first time, and they're up against Paul Splitorf. And Splitorf was a tough pitcher. And um, he would have pitched in game one, but unfortunately his dad had passed away. So he was not available to pitch game one. So he, gets, he got pushed back to this game, game three. So series tied now, and you got Paul Splitoff going in the Yankees. Now, the year before, by the way, Paul Splitoff was the pitcher who um, B- Billy Martin, who was managing the Yankees at the time, he used him as an excuse to not play Reggie Jackson in Game 5 in that series, which was pretty a pretty lame excuse. Now you got Reggie in this game, and you'll see how Reggie does in a minute. But um, he fell, you know, uh, Splitoff, he's a tough lefty. You know, I don't, I don't really think it's a good idea for Reggie to face him and everything like that. It was really just a way to screw Reggie, obviously. Well, he's not the manager now. At this point, um, Bob Lemon's the manager, and Reggie's in the game at DH. Um, right field, instead of Reggie, you got Lupinella out there, but Reggie's dh So first at bat of the game for the Yankees, it's Mickey Rivers. He hits a single. You can see he's hobbling, though. They talk about it during the broadcast. He's clearly hobbling. He's um, not 100% Rick, Mickey, and that means he's not going to be as fast. He may not be as much of a threat to steal. Roy White's up next. He's a pretty solid defensive outfielder in left. He's not a heavy hitter, but he's okay. Um, here he's not okay. He hits into a double play. And, um, 
you know, so that doesn't really work out so well. Usually it's Munson who hits second, but um, for this particular game, Munson's hitting third. So Munson's up next, and he quickly flies out. So the end of that inning. So we go to the top of the second, and um, they talk about the tough Sunfield. Pete Lecoq is the batter for Kansas City. They talk about the tough Sunfield at Yankee Stadium. You can see, I mean, the shadows are just going across the field at a very strange angle. Um, I don't know exactly what time this game started, but it was autumn. It was um, October. You had the sun setting earlier. And the sun is a factor through a lot of this game, but especially as we go to the middle innings. Anyway, um, Lecoq fouls off a lot of pitches off of, um, off of uh, Catfish and then finally hits a double. Clint Hurdle's up next. Okay, Clint Hurdle. We all know who Clint Hurdle is, right? We know him as uh, the manager. Um, manager for a long time with the Kansas City, uh, with um, Colorado and with Pittsburgh. But here he is playing for the Royals. I didn't realize he played for the Royals. I knew he was a Met, me being a Met fan. I remember his name coming up as a Met. I think he was maybe a guy who was in the minor leagues a lot um, with the Mets, I believe. And I know he was a p- potential manager candidate as he um, started managing a lot in the Met system. He never really got a chance. He never got a chance, actually, to manage the big league club. He ended up moving on. As we know, he became a successful manager with Pittsburgh and with um, Colorado. But here he is as a player in 78, and he flies out to center field. He's the left fielder for Kansas City. Um, Al Cowens is up next. So um, it's a man on second and one out. Al Cowens is up. By the way, I know I talk about this a lot, but I'm just going to keep it real. It's nice to watch these games and see a lot of African-American players. And the Royals had a lot of them. You had Al Cowens. You had Frank White. You had Hal McRae. Uh, Willie Wilson, who we'll see later, Amos Otis, and the Yankees had a few too. Um, so it's really nice to see that. You don't see that as much in the game now. I'm all for the globalization. I love the fact that you have plenty of great Latin American players and Asian players and so on that are in the game now. But I miss the fact that there, you know, you just don't see an African American presence. And in this game, in this era, you see a lot more of it. So here's Al Cowens. He has a sharp grounder to Nettles over at third base. And, um, he looks, he looks Lecoq back, throws over to Cowens, and two outs. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to kind of move along through this, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to keep you guys with everything here, you know, because um, I'm actually going through my notes of everything I did when I watched this game, and my handwriting is not 100%. I kind of scribbled some of this. Fred Potak is up next. He pops up to second base, and um, Fred Stanley's fighting that son, but he makes the catch. All right, so we go to the bottom of the second. So the Royals are out of it. So we got to go to the bottom of the second. We get Reggie for the first time. Um, and Reggie's up for the first time. He's dh in this game. And he does this. Time when it seemed almost for a boatman in the big leagues. By the way, what Howard Cosell was talking about there... He was talking about the fact that Paul Splitoff and Reggie Jackson both wear glasses. And he was saying that, you know, here you had Paul Splitoff who wears glasses and Reggie Jackson wearing it. And there was a time in the game where you almost never saw that. And now you had two guys wearing glasses. And I think after this home run, I think as Reggie's going around the bases, um, Keith Jackson says something like, it looks like Reggie's glasses were better or something like that. So anyways, that's a home run that ties the game. Reggie picking up where he left off with the postseason the year before. And um, they talk about Reggie's numbers in the postseason that year. He was having a really good series in this series. He was really delivering. 
So Lupinella comes up next. The crowd does that Lou thing where it sounds like every time it's funny when you watch this game, you get used to it after a while. But Reggie has his at bats. The crowd loves him. They go crazy. And then right after Reggie does whatever he does, you hear a booing and you're like, wait, why are they booing? And you realize, no, they're not booing. It's Lou for Lou Pinella. Lou Pinella's up next. He flies out. And then uh, Greg Nettles is up next and he flies out. Although um, Hurdle has some trouble with it in that Sunfield, but he flies out. And um, Chris Shambliss hits a hard ground ball, but Frank White at second base throws him out. So that's the second inning. So now we're tied at one. So let's go to the third. Frank White, as we just mentioned, he made that tough play to finish off the last inning. He leads off this one, and he taps back to Hunter on the second pitch. Then here comes that man again, George Brett. And this is what happens. Key to them being successful today is throwing strikes, getting ahead of the hitter. The same pitch that Splitteroff threw to Reggie that he hit out, 0-0, probably would have been a fly ball to center field. Brett hits it well again. Rivers turns his back, goes back. It is gone. Brett is two for two. Another one. Another one for George Brett. So that's crazy. I mean, he's got another one. This time, nobody on again. So it's 2-1 to Kansas City. And Brett just clearly has um he clearly has Catfish's number. He's just making him pay with everything. So Hal McCray comes up next. Tough act to follow. He strikes out looking, and then Amos Otis um Hunter walks him. Daryl Porter's up. Um they O up on first base. We know AO can run. They do the split screen thing. Everybody remember that split screen thing they used to do on t- they don't do this anymore, I guess. Well, for two reasons. Number one, because guys don't steal as much anymore. And also because I guess um most of the time if they think someone's gonna steal, they have that camera that's somewhere over the third base dugout, and they get a shot of the pitcher, and then you get the runner on first base in the foreground. But this is in, you know, in the days, you know, ABC would do the split screen and see um, I think NBC started picking it up too. Or maybe NBC did it first. I don't know. But you'd have the um, pitcher on one side and then you'd have the first baseman and the um, runner on first on the other side. And then he's throwing over the first base. Is he going to steal? He's not going to steal. There's a little bit of an analysis about it. And then something strange happens. So Daryl Porter's up. He hits a fly ball to center field. Rivers comes in. It looks like he caught it, but um, we're not sure if he trapped it or if he caught it or we don't know. And um, the runners move up and they show the replay and it looks kind of like he caught it. And you hear the Yankee fans and the Yankee fans are chanting what the Knicks fans used to chant at the Garden. I guess they still do it. I don't know. But the, the, the Knicks fans used to chant this a lot in the early 90s when the Knicks would play the Bulls and you know whoever they were playing in the playoffs and they thought it was a bad call by the referee and they would chant this word, bull, blank, bull, blank. You can hear it pretty clearly. The um, the fans at Yankee Stadium were chanting it when they see the replays. They think he caught that ball. But um, not much of an argument from the Yankees. And um, Howard um, Cosell kind of suggests that he may have been caught it. May have caught it, but um, they don't change the ruling. And obviously, there was no replay in those days. And um, Yankees get the bullpen again. They get the bullpen going again. Um, but Hunter ends up walking Pete LeCock. Clint Hurdle's up next. Hunter finally gets ahead of him 0-2. And he's working pretty fast. You know, these pitchers in these days work pretty fast. And he strikes Hurdle out. So he gets out of it. So um, the Royals get out of it with just the home run. Or the Yankees get out of it only having given up the home run to George Brett. So it's 2-1. to one. So you see what makes these teams good. You see that, you know, um, Catfish Hunter doesn't really have his best stuff, but he's finding ways to get out of these jams. He just can't seem to handle George Brett. But, I mean, he's finding ways to get everybody else to, you know, he's not getting everyone, but he's finding ways to get out of jams and everything like that, and it's 2-1. to one. This is when you know you're seeing good teams and really good baseball. This is what makes playoff baseball something really special. So we go to the bottom of the third now. Fred Stanley strikes out quick. 
Bucky Dent, um, he gets a nice hand. This is the first time Bucky Dent has come up at Yankee Stadium since that big home run he hit that Monday in Boston. And he gets a nice hand for that. Um, we all know the story of that big home run that helped put the Yankees into the um, playoffs by helping beat the Red Sox, the big home run at, F- at Fenway. So um, he hits that smash um, up in Fenway. But um, in this at bat, no, um, he flies out to right field. Paul Blair is up next. Oh, so Paul Blair replaced Mickey Rivers. When Mickey Rivers made that catch, or, well, he didn't make the catch in the half half inning before, he's hobbling a lot. Um, You can see his hip is bothering him. You can see he's not healthy. He ends up coming out of the game, and Paul Blair comes in to replace him. And Paul Blair is nothing to sneeze at. This is a guy who's a veteran. He played for the Orioles. Um, I believe he was there when they won their championship in 1970. And he's a special ball player, and he's a good ball player, and... and, um, Jim Palmer talks about him. Jim Palmer was his teammate in Baltimore, and he talks about how reliable he is. And so um, he's out there, and he's a pretty good guy out there to have for depth. Um, here he flies out, though, to center field. So we got to go to the fourth. So on to the fourth. After Al Cowens flies out, Fred Potek comes up. He takes a high strike and gives that umpire a hard stare, man. He gives him a real serious ice grill. Eventually he works out a walk. So he's on first base, one out. Um, Frank White comes up. You get the whole split screen and everything like that. Uh, Frank White flies out, so there's two outs. And now George Brett comes up, and he gets a pretty good boo from the crowd. But um, it's two outs, and it's a man on. And they're talking about in the broadcast, there's no way, there's no way in the world that Patek should be running with George Brett up. He's got two home runs already. He's in a groove, and um, there's no way in the world he should be running. So what does he do? He takes off. And what happens with Munson? Because they think Munson's got that weak arm. Remember, he's got that bad shoulder. So what happens? Munson throws a gun. He throws a cannon. Um, I'm not wording that right. He has a cannon or somehow, even though he has that bad shoulder, but he's able to make a great throw over to second base. Um, Patek's slide isn't very good, and he gets him. So he ends up getting caught stealing at second base with George Bretta. Bad move. I know he must have got a, you know, a little bit of an earful in the dugout for that one. That's the end of the inning. Next inning, heart of the Yankee lineup coming up. Roy White. And then you got Thurman, and then you got Reggie. So Roy White, the second-place hitter, he grounds out pretty quick. Um, Munson comes up, and he doubles. So split off, I retired seven in a row. But now here's Munson. He hits a double, and um, that ball, the ball that he hits kind of gets lost in the tarp roll, and so that kind of helps him get the double, but that's baseball. That's how it is. And how, so now Reggie's coming up, man on second base. Naturally, crowd's going bonkers. Reggie gets a hard single. Now, this is good baseball, man. Reggie, you know, he doesn't have to hit a home run every time. He gets a good single. It's good enough to score um, to score the runner, and it ties the game. So the game's tied at two. And then you hear that booing again. Here's Lou Pinella. And this is what I really miss, just the intensity, the crowd, everything like that. You know, the crowd's into it. And here's Lou Pinella, and he's coming up. And um, Red, they talk about how Reggie's um, his statistics, his numbers, and how he's tearing it up in this series. Reggie at first. Jackson in this championship series of 78, six for nine, two homers, five runs batted in. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a career for a lot of folks. Yeah, so Reggie's doing it. Um, he's, he's showing he's worth the money and everything like that. And it's working out for him. 78, obviously a lot better than the majority of 77 did. Although of course, 77 had a pretty happy ending for Reg. All right. So the rest of this inning, 
So this next play is kind of another another weird play. It's just uh, you know these things happen in baseball, especially when you're playing real baseball and you're not just hitting home runs with every every time you score. Um, Pinella hits a drive in the left field corner. Reggie has to hold it second at first, but the ball ends up um, the ball ends up um, going past the the fielder. Um, it's thrown into the crowd. It's it's weird. The camera work is a little weird. You know, this is I mean, obviously the cameras do do a pretty good job considering the technology of this era. Overall, in this game, they do a pretty good job. Um, and I'll talk about that a little more later when we get into some of the um, dramatic at-bats that happen later in this game. But um, the camera work here is not great. I think there's a lot of confusion with the directing and everything like that. We don't really see what happens, but a ball gets passed. It's thrown to first base. It gets past the first baseman. And um, Reggie ends up scoring because of the overthrow. But we don't really see it, and then we don't really get a good replay. The commentary doesn't really talk about it. Either way, the Yankees are now up 3-2 to two, um, on a strange play where there's um, looks like two errors that are made by the Royals. Yankees are up three to two. Craig Nettles comes up next, and um, he fly. He hits a fly ball to right field. Pinnell now is on third. He's coming home to score, and um, this is gonna. He's coming home to try and score on what would be a sacrifice fly, and he's called out. And you got to remember, this is Lou Pinella. Now, Lou Pinella, as a manager, was one of the most animated managers we've ever seen, and as a player, he's not much different. He slides in the home plate. He's called out, and he is. Livid. He is flipping around. He is going crazy. The hat flies off. He's yelling. Reggie and a couple of the other guys have to come out and actually get him away from the umpires. Um, he is so 100% sure he is safe. And remember, no replays in these days. Bob Lemon comes out and argues not, nowhere near as intensely as, as Lou Pinella does, but it appears that, um, and a lot of the other Yankees are kind of livid too. You know, you kind of have to see it. I can't even really describe it as well. Um, but you know, a lot of guys come out and they get in the face of that umpire. And um, but obviously, there's no reversal of the call, and he's called out, and that's the end of the inning. So we go to the next inning, but the discussion of this continues. So George Brett's up. Now remember, he was at bat when Freddie Patek came up um, in the last when Freddie Patek was on base in the last half inning. So George Brett's up again now because he lost his at-bat. He didn't get to finish his at-bat because Patek got thrown out being caught stealing. So it's the top of the fifth. Brett's leading off. It appeared that way. We'll have a look at it. George Brett hits it to right field. It's a three in a row. Yes! <laughs> Incredible! What a performance! Can you believe this? Three home runs all off the same pitcher, all off the same starting pitcher. Catfish, just not a good day against George Brett. I mean, when Reggie hit those three home runs on three swings in the World Series the year before, he did it off of three different pitchers. This is three home runs off of the same pitcher. The Royals are back on top. This is insane. This is crazy. So um, we move on. Hal McRae, again, tough act to follow. Again, he doesn't follow it very well. He flies out. <laughs> they go, but they're still talking about the play from the last inning. That's the um, Lou Pinella play at home plate. And they talk about now after they've seen a couple of replays, they saw some of them in between innings. They show another one. And it looks like his slide was not a good slide. He missed the plate. His foot was a little bit in the air. And it actually was a good call. And he actually was out, apparently, from the... So Howard Cosell changes his mind, or he kind of um, stands corrected and says, you know, now that I see a different replay, now that I see a different angle and I see his foot was up, it wasn't down, it wasn't over the plate. He missed the plate on his slide. The tag got him before the other foot got there, so he was out. So um, it turns out it was a good call. Um, Amos Otis strikes out. Daryl Porter grounds out. That's the end of that inning. Bottom of the fifth. Chris Shamless leading off. He flies out to Cowens in right field. Um, he hit the ball well, just not well enough. Fred Stanley comes up next, and um, he strikes out on a foul tip. 
Now Bucky Dent's up. He gets another nice little hand about the home run the other day. And um, But before um, we get to the results of Bucky Dent, there's an interesting little banter. Now, remember, I was going to talk about Jim Palmer and Howard Cosell in this game. Jim Palmer's not a broadcaster yet. He's still a player. He's still a great player, a great pitcher with the Baltimore Orioles. And he's trying to make – he's trying to articulate some points, but something he doesn't seem to really understand is that you got to – when you're talking during the course of the game – you have to stop when a play is about to happen because the play-by-play guy has to describe it even though this is television. And I think Keith Jackson's trying to be polite and he's kind of letting them get away with it because when um, Fred Stanley's up and he strikes out, Keith Jackson doesn't really get to call it because Jim Palmer's trying to make a point about how the Yankees are tough to beat because they're always adding players because they're always active in the free agent market because they have so much money. And... Howard Cosell is kind of disputing that point. And he, the thing with Howard Cosell is this, from what I'm listening to here. Howard Cosell, and I've heard him in other broadcasts too, he has no problem saying when he doesn't agree with something that's being said in the mound and actually kind of debating about it right then and there. He's not somebody that's going to kind of hold back his opinion. If you say something and he doesn't agree with it, he'll say, well, I don't know about that. Why would you say that? You know. And so he kind of... You know, he kind of gets into it a little bit with with Jim Palmer here. You know, it sounds good nature. I don't know if these guys, I can't tell if they like working together or not. But while they're doing that, Keith Jackson's having a hard time calling the games. So calling the calling some of the plays here. So it gets a little bit awkward, but it's it's a decent listen. Um, Palmer, by the way, when you listen to him talk, he talks about Fred Stanley. Um, I think in an earlier at bat, and he says, well, he can't really hit the ball hard unless it's over on the outside part of the plate and down or something like that. You can sense a little arrogance with him. He's like, oh, you know, I have pretty good success against this guy because I just, you know, he somehow, you know, he doesn't hit me very well. Um, it, it makes an interesting listen. I think he is a good choice. He's he's articulate. And um, he obviously knows a lot about pitching because he is a great pitcher. He explains those things very well. But um, there's a little bit of an arrogance here, but it's good. It's good. Um, it makes for a decent listen. But there's a little bit of awkwardness with him and Cosell as they make this point. So the point he's trying to make again is that, um, you know what? Why don't I play a little of it? And his team's obvious. Kansas City came here to play. I talked to Hal McRae the other day, and he said that he really thinks they have a good chance to win. And let's go. It's tough when the Yankees keep adding a player, a guy, a guy like Rich Gossage or Raleigh Eastbrook a year. He says it's very hard to compete. Well, I don't know. Brad Kaufman tried that. It didn't work. Ray Kroc tried that. It didn't work. Gene Autry tried that. It didn't work. Yes, but they didn't have a world championship off of it. They were adding a player to and uh, the Yankees know how to win. They proved that last year. I they proved it this year. I thought your implication was. Bucky Dent hits it into the air to left field. Hurdle. Okay, so during that whole exchange, Fred Stanley struck out. Um, he foul tipped. He didn't think that it was a foul. He didn't think that um, the ball was caught, or he couldn't believe the ball was caught. He's arguing with the umpire. Um, Bucky Dent comes up and he flies out. And if you are just listening, as you just were, you wouldn't know any of that because <laughs> because those two guys are going at it with that point. But anyway, it's fun. It's a fun listen. So we move on. So it's the top of the six, still tied at three. Pete Lacott comes up. And um, he hits a well-hit ball over Paul Blair's head. Paul Blair decides to go for it and not play it off the wall. So because of that, he ends up having to come back in when it bounces off the wall. So Lecoq gets a double. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lecoq gets a triple out of that. He runs pretty well for, um, for a first baseman. And um, he gets all the way to third base. So Clint Hurdle's up next. And we start to see some warm-up action in the bullpen. It's the top of the six. Goose Gossage starts to warm up in the bullpen. We'll talk a little more about the Goose later. Um... And Hurdle hits a rocket down the right field line that's just barely foul. 
So you can see Catfish is getting tired. And Howard Cosell makes a comment that, you know, maybe it's time for him to come out. Um, and in the next, for, so for the rest of this at bat, he manages to handle Hurdle and he strikes him out on a breaking ball. So there's one out. So Al Cowan comes up next and he grounds out to Fred Stanley pretty quickly on a check swing. Um, Catfish actually comes over. He almost makes the play, which is what keeps Lecoq from scoring from third. Because if, now let me just explain this. The ball's hit. It looks like it could be, it looks, it's a check swing. It's a weak ground ball towards second base. But it looks like Catfish can make the play himself. If Catfish makes that play, there's no way in the world that Lecoq can score from third base. So Catfish comes over to make it. If he never went for it, Lecoq would have taken off for home plate and he would have scored. But because Catfish went for it, that makes Lecoq have to hold up because he knows if the pitcher makes the play, he's going to throw home. He's going to throw home. So Catfish goes after it. He doesn't quite get to it. The second baseman Stanley does, makes the throw out to first, but by then, Lecoq had to hold up over at third base, so he couldn't score. So that holds the runner up. So that's that's good fielding. That's a good attempt right there by a catfish. He doesn't touch the ball. He doesn't make it harder for Fred Stanley to make the play. Stanley makes the play. That's two outs. Man still stays at third. He doesn't score. So now it looks like catfish might get out of this, and Howard Cosell might have to eat his words. Freddie Patek comes up next. Now here's the entry, another interesting exchange between hotel between uh, Cosell and Jim Palmer. They start getting into it about how is Catfish Hunter throwing. And um, Palmer says he's not throwing that well. You know, his fastball is not that good. You know, he's getting by on some breaking balls, something like that. You know, but he kind of, again, this is the kind of the arrogance of Jim Palmer. But he's telling the truth, you know. And again, it's a good listen. So it's fun. Um, and um, so what does Hunter do? And that's that. And Howard Cosell yells out, what a performance. I mean, he's really impressed by um, Catfish Hunter, who very impressively comes back in that inning. He looks like he's done, but he comes back. He strikes out Patek. Right before that, um, Jim Palmer had said, you know, you can get these fastball. He doesn't have a good fastball. You can get that fastball past, you know, Freddie Patek and guys like that. You're not going to get it past Pete LeCock, though. And it's true. Um, Pete LeCock hit that um, double, which turned into a triple because of the way that Paul Blair, Paul Blair played it in center field. And... Um, so he wasn't able to get him, but he got the hitters he had to get, and he got out of it. Bottom of the six. So here, by the way, um, this telecast that I saw, the one that I caught, I got online, included the commercials. So if you want to go online, I don't have to say where, you know where. If you want to go online and check this out, it actually includes the uh, 1978 ABC commercials, which I found quite entertaining. It was fun. <laughs> I like this stuff. You know, I, I like kind of this 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 era and this time of history and everything like that. So after the commercial break, we realized that ABC missed Paul Blair's at bat in the bottom of the sixth inning. So I actually wrote in my notes, com- commercial hungry jerks or commercial greedy jerks I wrote here. These guys, they came back late. They missed... Um, Paul Blair, he grounded out and nothing really happened. But what if something had happened um, because of the commercial break break? He grounded out to the shortstop and uh, they never showed it. They show the replay. And Keith Jackson says something like, uh, Paul Blair came up to the plate pretty quick. And I'm like, yeah, OK, he came up quick. huh? No, he came up the normal time. You guys, your commercial break was too long. You guys are greedy. It's not his fault, but it's ABC's fault. Anyway, they miss a play. That doesn't happen that much nowadays, huh? Um, Roy White comes up next. He singles to third base and Thurman Munson's up. So they're talking hit and run. Um, Palmer expects the hit and run and uh, Munson fouls off a few. And um, then he hits a bloop to left field. 
that gets White all the way to third. Munson's just reliable. This is why Thurman Munson was such a good player. He always found a way to just get done what needed to get done. He didn't make a stupid out. He didn't hit into a, um, a double play or anything like that. He advances the runner all the way to third. He gets himself a single. He hits a bloop. He doesn't do anything. You know, he gets the guy all the way to third base. So now it's first and third. So now he's over at first base. Even if he hits into a double, even if Reggie, Reggie comes up next, even if Reggie hits into a double play, they're going to score. Um, but Reggie's up next and the crowd's going bananas. Absolutely crazy. Reggie hits a deep fly ball to center field. I mean, way, way back. The crowd thinks it might go. Otis goes back. Oh, it's a really great call by, by Jackson. He goes, back goes Otis. Back goes Otis. But Otis ends up making the play on the warning track. Um, but it's good enough to score Roy White and it's good enough to, good enough to give the Yankees the 4-3 lead. Um, so I wrote a side note here. I'm trying to read my notes. Bear with me. Podcast is live, although it's not really. It was for, oh yeah, my side note is that, um, so Reggie hits this fly ball to center field. Now I didn't realize this, but Yankee Stadium in, in the late 1970s, this is the new Yankee Stadium. Sorry, I'm just going to geek out on stadiums a little bit because I do that. This is the new Yankee Stadium. This is post renovation, post 1976. We all know that in the old days, Yankee Stadium was like 430 or something, or 450 or something crazy to center field. Yankee Stadium as I knew it in the 1990s, was 408 to center field. I think in the 80s and 90s, it was 408. But at this point, it was 417 to dead center field. So they moved the fences in again for, um, you know, a different era of baseball. So those 90s Yankees played in a stadium that had was, you know, I don't want to call it a bandbox, but it was 408 to center field. This stadium was 417 to center field. And we know right field is really short at Yankee Stadium. But Reggie, in the old, you know, this was Yankee Stadium in the 90s. This probably would, this not, not probably, this would have been a home run. But it was 417 to dead center. And Otis was able to make the catch. So Yankees are up 4-3. to three. It's a sacrifice fly. Reggie does it again. Thurman does it again. These guys are consistent. I'm telling you, this game is really just a clinic in good baseball and what good baseball teams do. And you're going to see more of that in a minute. Lou Pinella's up next. And um, he hits one into the center field alley. That gets Munson all the way to third. Lou has to stay at first because the throw comes in. And Howard Cosell makes an interesting point, which is kind of the point that I'm making. Yes, the Yankees are starting to knock split off around a little bit, but you're seeing how good the Royals outfielders are. You see Amos Otis make that play. You see over there in right field, the right fielder makes a good play to cut that ball off and keep it from becoming an even more dangerous play. Even though the Yankees are knocking split off around a little, you're actually seeing how good the Royals are and keeping this from getting worse. And you saw that with the Yankees earlier. Okay, so now Nettles is up next. He grounds out to Lecoq at first base, and the Yankees only get the one run. So it's four to three. Listen, if these two, if this was two bad teams, this game would be like nine to seven right now. But these teams are really holding it together. So you go to the top of the seventh and a player who I really like, I'm actually reading his book right now and he's really fun to watch. Goose Gossage. They call him Rich Gossage, which is his real name. Um, but you know, a lot of us who grew up in the eighties know him as the goose. He was known as the goose. And um, he comes in for the Yankees. Goose Gossage was a big, like six foot four guy from Colorado through probably like in the high 90s, maybe even close to 100 miles an hour. He was the Yankee closer. They just got him that year. They had the closer the year before who won the Cy Young. That was Sparky Lyle. But these these being the Yankees, they go out and they get the best closer on the market. So now they have two great closers. They got Lyle still, and they have Goose Gossage, who throws almost 100 miles an hour. And he's just an animal up there on on, on the mound. He's big. He's intimidating. He throws super hard. and, um, And they talk about it. So Anyway, and of course, this is the day when in the clo- closers didn't come in in the ninth inning. This is the seventh inning, and the Yankees are up by one run, and Goose is already in. Okay, now George Brett's up again. So what's going to happen? Fourth home run? No, he flies out to center field. Um, Hal McRae taps back to the mound. Hal McRae's not having a good day. 
Um, he has to hurry and he has to get him. And um, oh, I forgot Frank White. He let off the inning and he popped up. So Goose gets him one, two, three. Bottom of the seventh, Yankees go one, two, three also. Let's move on. Top of the eighth, Amos Otis is up. Goose Gossage is still in. And Amos hits a double. Pinella can't quite get to it. Remember, it's four to three Yankees now. Top of the eighth. Um, Daryl Porter comes up next. He hits a single pretty quick. Oh, Amos Otis scores. So quickly, boom, 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 just like that. Royals tie it. This is how good the Royals are. Pete LeCox up next. Goose strikes him out. He's just throwing hard gas, just steam, just boom, 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 and he strikes him out. You look at that Yankee bullpen, nobody warming up. Two big hits. If this was nowadays, Goose would have been out. If this was now, well, Goose wouldn't have been in because he's the closer, but if this was some other relief pitcher, they would have been gone. But he's already given up a run. He's given up two hits, but he had the chance to strike out Lecoq, and he did. He can hit that um, heavyweight type of hitter. Next is Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle gets a single. So now Goose is starting to look a little mortal, a little mortal here. You know, he's not looking as invincible as he was. Um, still no one up in the Yankee bullpen. They show the Yankee bullpen. There is nobody warming up. Um, so now the Royals have the lead. It's five to four. Um, Al Cowens comes up next and he hits a rocket. It just eats up Bucky Dent. Um, he fields it. He's able to, um, he gets rocked backwards and he ends, he ends up, I'm sorry. No, it's still, it's still four to three. It's not five to, it's, I'm sorry. It's still tied at four. Still tied at four right now. Um, Al Cowens comes up. He hits a rocket over to Bucky Dent. It knocks Bucky Dent down over there at second base. He's able to get up or almost knocks him down. He throws. He makes the fielder's choice, but they can't make the double play. The Royals score another run. Now they're up for a 5-4. to four. So now the crowd's getting quiet. Everybody's getting a little nervous. The Royals are up now 5-4. to four. They're showing they're tough. They're here to play too. Freddie Patek up next. Um, now he hits... He hits a ground to the short. Dent comes over, makes a good play, crosses over second base, throws him out, and the Yankees get out of that inning. Um, but the, before they get it, well, they get out of it at that point, but they've given up the two runs. They've lost their lead. So we got, we go to the bottom of the eighth and, um, here's Paul Splitorf. He's still in the game. So now this is, remember, this is the bottom of the eighth inning. The Yankees have used two pitchers so far. They're losing five to four. The Royals have used one. This is a different era. This is the definition of a different era. This is crazy. Um, all right. So Splitorf is still in. He gets Blair to fly out. Um, Roy White comes up and he singles. So now Whitey Herzog, the manager of the Royals, comes out to uh, take the temperature, check Split Orf out. Actually, he knows what he's going to do. He's going to take him out. He takes him out and he brings in Doug Bird to face um, Thurman Munson. So Yankees are down 5-4. to four. You got Roy White on first base. He singled. And here comes Thurman. And, well, all I got to say is good old Thurman. He's been very effective. Try he is. Munson hits it high, hits it well to left. Wilson going way back. So I got to be careful, I guess, how much of this I play. But um, so, yeah, you hear Howard Cosell going crazy, calling him the damaged man and everything like that. We know how hurt he was. You get some really good crowd shots here of of the Yankee fans as they're, you know, going nuts for for Thurman. Um, They're actually they're actually begging for him to take a curtain call. Um, Eventually, he does come out and take it. That's not really something that Thurman Munson likes to do. But he comes out, he takes the curtain call. They show the replay, everything like that. Um, Herzog comes out. He takes Bird out. and um, it's just a really great moment for Thurman, you know, and unfortunately, as we know, 
this was uh, the last postseason that uh, Thurman Munson would play for the Yankees, and um, the last he would play because tragically the next summer he would pass away in that plane crash as he was um, flying home to see his family that August of 79, and um, we know the whole story there, but um, Thurman was a solid player, and he was just reliable. He was Mr. Reliable, and who knows? Maybe he would have been a Hall of Famer if he'd have been able to finish his career, but um, you just see how great he was here and that he just came up big. And you even see, um, I'm even kind of watching this as I'm talking, that he's in the dugout and he's putting on his uh, catcher gear. You know, he doesn't want really, really want to come out for the curtain call. And Reggie comes over to him and he says something. And I don't know I, I don't know what Reggie said. I don't know if Reggie said, man, you got to go out there. You got to take that curtain call. But he's congratulating him. And some of the other guys are hugging and the fans are clapping. And this is really good what ABC does here. They don't take a commercial. Um, so we see this whole thing. We see all of it. Um, Doug Bird comes out. Al Roboski, the mad Hungarian's coming in. We see him getting ready to warm up. We see um, Thurman take the curtain call. So they kind of make up for missing uh, Paul Blair's little ground out earlier. So, okay, I apologize, ABC. You do a good job here. <laughs> um, this is good that they don't take a commercial here and they show everything. Um, they talk about the uh, League Championship Series game coming up that night. And um, that's going to be Philadelphia and the Dodgers. And um, I'd love to do some of those games, but I don't know if they're online. Anyway. Now, this is my favorite part of this game, folks. This is my favorite part of this game. Yankees are up 5-4, to four, right? It is the bottom of the eighth inning. There is one out. Reggie Jackson's coming to bat. Al Roboski is the pitcher coming in. If you don't know who Al Roboski is, look him up. You'll see that he's known as the Mad Hungarian. This is the kind of player that I wish we had more players like this in baseball nowadays. This guy was a lefty. He was big. He was just built like a refrigerator. He threw hard. He had the Fu Manchu mustache. And he had this whole act where he would kind of stomp around the mound and pound his glove and everything like that. And the opposing players and the opposing fans hated it. But the Kansas City fans loved it. And he was just a very animated guy. And um, just, you know, if you look up Mad Hungarian, you'll see highlights of him and everything like that. And he's... um. He's a guy, he's done some broadcasting since. He played for the Royals before this, and he played for the Braves after this. And I think he's done some broadcasting with Kansas, with um, St. Louis, with um, the Cardinals. Did I say he played for the Royals before this? I meant the Cardinals. He played for St. Louis before he played for the Royals, and um, he played for the Braves later on in his career. And this guy's just fun to watch. And um, anyway, he's coming in to face Reggie. So he comes in, and he's... Um, He's behind the play, and ABC does a good job. They're watch I'm watching it right now, and Reggie is just watching him warm up. He's just standing there in the on-deck circle. He's not taking practice swings or whatever. He's just watching Roboski warm up, just watching him. And now he finally steps into the batter's box, and Roboski, he goes behind um, the mound, and the crowd's booing because they don't like this. They don't want him to do this whole thing, but he's psyching himself up. He's pounding his glove. He's just yelling at himself and everything like that, and the crowd's booing, and ABC makes sure they catch it with their camera. They do a good job of catching it. So here we go. It's Reggie, and it's the mad Hungarian, Al Roboski. So um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty intense at bat. Um, Roboski falls behind, and then he throws a couple of really good fastballs. And every time he throws a fastball by Reggie, and Re Reggie swings through his shoes. He really And they actually make the comment that they think Reggie Jackson doesn't want George Brett to outdo him. George Brett's got three home runs on the day. Reggie's only got one. He doesn't want to get outdone. That's a pretty good idea. That's, that's very much possible. Um, so... Reggie, um, first, first, um, he swings through his shoes at one of these fastballs and he misses. And, uh, when every time he gets Reggie to swing and miss, he snaps that ball back from the catcher. I mean, he's really pumped up. And the camera works good, you know, for 1978. They're getting some good close ups on him and everything like that. And then he throws one that is right under Reggie's chin. When it's, when it's two and two, he gets one right under Reggie's chin. 
And it's spin, it actually knocks Reggie to the ground. The crowd's booing and everything like that. It's just really intense. I think Reggie would like to get another home run here. Not too many of the guys like Grabowski's act. He also doesn't want uh, Brett to upstage him. Strike two. I'll tell you, he had a lot of mustard on that. Good pitch to a pass, Reggie. Yeah, so he got that one past Reggie pretty good. Then after that, he dusts him. And then after that, Reggie flies out to center field. So um, it's pretty, um, you hear the crowd chanting Reggie, Reggie, and everything like that. And you can, you can see the intensity between the two. And Horbowski especially, man. He's just really an intense guy. So um, after that, so he gets Reggie. And then he gets Lou Piniella. Um He gets Lou Piniella to strike out looking. And that's the end of the inning. But now the Yankees are up. Now the Yankees are up 5-4. to four, And um, no, I'm sorry. It's 6-5. to five. Now the Yankees are up 6-5. to five. And um, they have to get the um, Royals in the top of the ninth. And Goose Gossage is still in. So top of the ninth, Goose is still in. And um, there's a pinch hitter now. So the pinch hitter is Steve Braun, who's in pinch hitting for Frank White, I believe. Let me just check my notes. I'm pretty sure it's Frank White. It is. Yes. So Frank White, the ninth place hitter, they, uh, he was a pinch runner, a pinch hitter for him. It's Steve Braun. He strikes out looking. He doesn't like the, he doesn't like the um, call at all. Then you get George Brett. Now George Brett's up. So now they really have a chance. Um, George Brett comes up and um, he ends up just flying out to left field. So now it's two outs. Yankees are pumped up. Uh, Yankee fans are pumped up. They're chanting goose, goose, goose. And um, there's two outs. And Hal McRae's up. And Hal McRae has not had a good day at all. And um, here's how things end up wrapping up on the afternoon. So everybody's standing. I mean, you can see behind the plate, the fans are all standing. Um, everybody's standing. And um, Goose Gossage is going for the final out. And he gets it. Lou Pinella gets a, um, he makes the catch on a sliding ball. Um, it's a shallow pop-up to right field. Pinella comes in. I don't know if Reggie would have made this play. Pinella makes a pretty good defensive play. He slides, kicks up a lot of the um, turf and a lot of the grass out there. But he makes the catch. And um, even though the series isn't over, it's two games to one. Remember, this is a best-of-five series. But they show the Royals dugout, and the guys are dejected. I mean, um, you know, and this is definitely a different era. You see a lot of cops just kind of coming out of the dugout to kind of keep fans from running onto the field when fans used to do that. And um, this is not a deciding game. There's still one more game the, night, the next night, at least. Um, it's two games to one, but the Royals going down now two to one. This is crushing, especially since they were up five to four in this game. And then Thurman hits the home run to win it for the Yankees. So um, this is really a crushing. They really wanted this one. If they had won this one, uh, who knows what would have happened. They would have tied the series. Um, and I'm sorry, they would have had a um, two games to one lead in the series with one game at Yankee Stadium and then another game, um, actually both games at Yankee Stadium because they played the two games at Royal Stadium already. It was called Royal Stadium in those days before it was called Kaufman Stadium. And um, this really would have put them in a much better position. But being down 2-1 in a best of five series with two more games on the road, that's a tough one. And um, the next night, the Yankees ended up winning this series by uh, winning a 2-1 to game with Ron Guidry on the mound. Best pitcher in the American League that year. Amazing year for Ron Guidry in 1978, and he was going in Game 4 on the Saturday night, and the Yankees wrapped it up. So that's that. That's this game, and um, the series doesn't go much beyond that. These two teams, very intense. This game, very intense. Really great game. 
this is one of those games that you watch and you, you hear people talk all the time about how baseball is boring and I understand how they feel, especially when you're watching regular season games. I get it. Sometimes it's slow, especially this year. No crowds, no nothing. So I, I, I get where they're coming from, but this is always my counter. You know, yes, you may think regular season baseball is boring. I actually think regular season sports in general can be pretty dull. But when you get to the postseason and when you get a ball game like this with two games with a real rivalry and a crowd that's into it and you really start getting into the strategy of it and how they're going to manage things and you have these players that really want to beat each other, this to me is as thrilling as it gets. Over the Fence Podcast. Thank you for staying with us this this whole time. I'm going to do more of these. I had a lot of fun doing this. I hope you enjoyed too. Thank you. God bless. I'm out of here.